Okay, so all very welcome to tonight's presentation, which is on sports nutrition. Okay, my name is Darren Mulcahy, and a lot of what we're going to go through tonight is going to be very much evidence-based and scientifically backed. Okay, so isn't too much uh, making up here. I'm try I've based a lot of what I have here off sound scientific principles. I want tonight to be um, educational and informative for everyone. And as we go through this, make sure to pop any questions into the chat box, okay? No matter how silly you think they are, I can guarantee you there's at least one other person thinking the exact same thing, okay? So any questions, make sure and pop them in. It's going to be aimed primarily at nutrition in relation to sports. But if you keep fit and healthy to any degree, a lot of this is going to be applicable, okay? So we have quite a lot to get through tonight, okay? Now, we're going, to be, we're going to be just skimming over sections of it, like the meal samples and so on. I will send them out to you, um, but the rest of it, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it, okay? So some of the stuff we want to cover tonight is the purpose of nutrition, the fundamentals um, purpose, uh, nutrition in relation to sports, four nutrition principles I like to go by, understanding nutrition, which I think is really important for people, how to build a winning meal, meal samples for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. As I said, I, will, I can pop out the, the presentation to anyone that wants it. Reducing inflammation, pre and post training strategies, hydration strategies, body composition for sport, and younger athletes, okay, or youth athletes. So that's, yeah, it's quite comprehensive what we're gonna go through. So I'm hoping we'll roughly get it wrapped in around a 60-minute mark. But if it goes slightly over that, I apologize. Um, so yeah, when I need this, I'm trying to condense it as much as I can, but also give you guys value. So tonight is, is going to be educational. And as this quote at the bottom says, the great aim of education is not knowledge, but action. Okay, so you will come out of the next hour, hopefully, uh, having learned a couple of bits and pieces but it is no good to you unless we apply it in our everyday life, okay? I think that's hugely important that we can, we can learn all these different uh, diet plans and strategies and the ins and outs of nutrition, but unless we put it into action, it's, it's inherently a waste of time. So yeah, tonight is, is obviously about educating, but I want it to be practical and applicable to everyday lives because that is essentially what is most important. So nutrition at its, at its most fundamental is the process of providing or obtaining the food necessary for health and growth. This was the definition that I liked the most and a couple of reasons why I think it's, it's really important. Um, it's firstly the process and everything we believe here in Raise the Bar is, is about, about a process and no quick fixes. And I think that's the best approach to take when it comes to nutrition. There are a lot of fad diets and um, quick fixes, I suppose, out there. and they go against the, the definition of nutrition. And secondly, the, the food is necessary for health and for growth, okay? So how do you view nutrition? It, it's commonplace, particularly in the, in the sports world, to view nutrition um, as fuel. So fuel for their sport, like the athlete is some sort of car, okay? And I think, there, I think there's faults with that, uh, with that approach. My personal approach is I always put humans before athletes. So before a person goes out into a pitch 
or under a barbell, they are a human being. Okay. And so I think to look at them from that point of view first. And secondly, I always promote health before performance. Okay. So if, so what, what I mean by those two statements is if a person is not happy in themselves or not feeling good, it doesn't matter how athletic they are. And similarly, if they're going out for this county final and they're due to give their biggest performance of the day, but their health is off, they have a cold, a flu, um, it doesn't matter really what nutrition strategy they take in that morning because health has gone before it. Okay, so humans in health above athletes in performance, that's the approach I like to take. And once we've nailed those two, um, we can then, you know, we can go into the finite side of things. And for a lot of people, they believe uh, adopting a really professional and intrinsic uh, nutrition strategy that is just going to lead to a better on-field performance. Uh, when I say on-field here, it obviously applies to, to on the court or in the pool or whatever it be, on the, on the platform, whatever it be, may be, your game day essentially. But it's much more than just a game day. So if we, if we think of training and nutrition as a process, it would lead to better training sessions, better recovery, and better mental health. They are three, three proven um, aspects of nutrition. Okay, that are backed in science, backed in research. Better nutrition strategies or better nutrition protocols will lead to better training, better recovery, and better health. And as a byproduct, a better performance. So getting it right just on the day, um, you've, you've kind of missed, missed the big picture with it. We could be having such good training sessions, recovering much, much better, and being a, be in a much better place from a mental health point of view as well in the lead up to that. So the way I like to think of this is um, I compete in powerlifting, which means every four or five months I will jump on a platform and compete. Um, so it's all geared towards one day. So if I'm just to get my nutrition right for that one performance and I totally ignore it in the four or five months before that, I have missed a very big part of the picture. I will have had poor training, poor recovery and a poor mental health as a result. Whereas if I set my stall out five months beforehand and I ensure my nutrition is on point, I'm going to have better training sessions, better recovery protocols and a better mental health. And therefore my performance on the day will be far, far better. Okay. If you are not a, a competitor or if your, comp if your competition is supposed to speak or your performance is needed more regularly, like weekly, then it's just this process. Is just, it just speeds up a small bit. Okay, that's all. It's the same thing, except instead of waiting every five months to perform, you now perform every day or every weekend, or whatever it may be. So with regards to specifics to sport, a lot of this is particularly field sports, but it will, it will apply to a, a vast majority of sports, but better decision-making, more alertness, faster reaction times, more energy and enthusiasm, repeated sprint ability, and prevention of cramps. Okay, there's some of the positive effects of a good relationship with nutrition. Okay, and you just imagine from the context of something like hurling or camogie, where the speed is so quick that if you can get all these little bits and pieces ticked off, how much of a better response you're going to have to the game. Okay, and the last one, the last three sections, the points, 
self-confidence, self-esteem, and body composition are all going to be improved as a, as a result of a good relationship with nutrition. If you were to ask any manager, coach, um, guide, whatever it may be, what is the one thing you would like to give an athlete? It would probably be more self-confidence, probably followed secondly by self-esteem. So if you can make an athlete more confident himself, feel better about themselves, and have and be more athletic looking, they're going to be in a far better position than the opposition who ignore all these. So we know that good nutrition practices is going to lead to a lot of um, positive hormonal responses in the brain, which are going to have the person feeling a lot better about themselves. We know that processed food and junk food does the opposite and has us feeling a little low, okay? And we're going, to, we're going to go into body composition a bit later on, um, but just know that it, it plays a huge role in every sport. And it's one of those things that the, the more we can get it to the optimal, number one, from the physically playing the sport, but number two, how the person perceives themselves. Okay. So uh, nutrition principles are something that's thrown around an awful lot. Okay. And I, and I think people get lost in them a small bit. Um, because they become quite complicated and quite diverse. But for me, these four nutrition principles are applicable to anybody playing sport, okay? Obviously, there will be people that will be just slightly outside this bracket that will need more, um, uh, more of an emphasis in one area and less of an emphasis in another area. But for the vast majority of us, these four nutrition principles will carry, carry over very well to most sports and to most everyday life. Um, just before I go on, make sure if you have any questions, pop them into the chat in here. Okay, and I should see it. Uh, so uh, nutrition principle number one, food first approach. Okay, so eating organic and whole foods whenever possible, as opposed to processed foods, uh, they would be better for our health and for our performance. Again, something that is backed in research and science, um, the better of the quality of the food, the better the response in the body, uh, both from like a micronutrient point of view, but also like an immune point of view. So we'd get a lot more bang for our buck, basically. So if you can imagine having two chicken fillets from a local farmer um, versus having two chicken fillets from KFC, okay? One is going to be substantially higher in salt and, and sugar and less, uh, and, and have less of the stuff we want, which you our case would be protein, okay? The second principle I think is really important is to have balance within our meals and within our nutrition approach in general, okay? So ensuring energy, energy balance, so the balance of calories in versus calories out, and also our macronutrients um, are balanced to ensure we get the best result that we want or we desire. So if we are in a calorie surplus, whereby we are consuming more calories than we expend, we are going to get fat. Uh, but vice versa, if we are taking in far too little calories um, and we are asking the body to do an awful lot of work, we won't have the energy to do it. So you can imagine in a sporting context, not having enough energy in the tank and, and asking the body to do it is going to be near impossible. It's going to break down. Okay, so it's not always excessively eating um, and putting ourselves, in, putting ourselves into a calorie surplus is a negative. 
it can sometimes be under-eating, particularly if you're involved in an endurance sport um, where you're going to require an awful lot of energy. If we think just in the, the picture before this, we had Michael Phelps up, and I believe Michael Phelps, um, during his Olympic uh, regime, was up on eight to 10,000 calories a day. Okay, uh, it's quite, quite a lot of food. And you can be damn sure that the vast majority of it was organic and whole foods. Okay. The third really important principle, sorry, just to go back on the balance. Um, so we have our energy requirements, but also our macronutrient requirements so that we have, uh, and we'll go through the different ratios, but uh, a good blend of proteins, carbohydrates, fats, and fiber within our diet. Okay. We don't want to overly emphasize on any one macronutrient. Okay. Or underemphasize on anyone as well. So that's really important that we have balance throughout. So our third principle is going to be routine. So creating a, re a routine that positively affects your relationship with food on a daily basis. So habits are probably the most like, powerful thing we can, we can create good habits with food are probably the most powerful thing we can do. I think the vast majority of people, they know that an apple is better than a Mars bar, or they know that a fillet of steak is going to be more nutritious than a bag of crisps. People know that, but it's just routine is built in to sometimes grab the other stuff. The best example I can think of this is if anyone knows someone that works in the, the line of it, like a trade, okay, and the, the classic builder's lunch was the, like a breakfast roll and a bottle of Coke, whatever it may be. So if everyone is in this routine of getting that, it's very easy to fall into that trap. So as athletes or as sports people, we want to create a positive routine around nutrition sports people by nature are going to be very uh, regimental anyway you know, the game starts at 2 p.m warm-up starts at half one last 60 minutes you know there's structure to their day as it is so putting structure around foods is going to be really important now i'm not saying you have to eat x y and z at this time and that time i'm actually that's not my my the way i roll when it comes to food i have a bit what i think putting like set times and set meals and just a bit more routine and structure around it will serve you so, so well. Okay. And sometimes that just requires you to be a small bit more prepared and to plan out stuff and just to be organized. Okay. If you leave it to chance, there's a good chance that you'll do it wrong. Okay. Take control of it, create a positive habit or a positive routine. Uh, I believe the, the top process on a habit or a routine is 28 days. And once you've kind of ingrained it there, then it's kind of, it comes kind of second nature to you. So, and our fourth nutrition principle is going to be demands. So what is the demands of the sport you are involved in? So for example, there's three different energy systems. There's the phosphocreatine system, the anaerobic system and the aerobic system. Okay. To make it very simple, um, phosphocreatine, creatine is the main energy source, anaerobic, carbohydrates and glycogen and the third one is primarily carbohydrates and, and fats okay so the very first one is any any movement that lasts between zero and ten seconds so any power lifters out there any weight lifters out there anything any any hundred meter sprinters your your sport is going to last between zero and ten seconds your need for carbohydrates and fats as energy source is going to be far less than the other two groups the middle group, which is called the anaerobic group, okay, they, 
they are going to require glycogen. So carbohydrates is going to be their primary fuel source and because they're most readily available. So that's going to be hurling, football, soccer, rugby, majority of field sports that are stop start in nature. Okay, so we're going to go for 30 seconds. The ball gets pucked down to the other side. You mightn't see it again for three minutes. Okay, that's the anaerobic system. Um, I, think it, I think it's ending up to about 90 seconds or so. So from 10 seconds to 90 seconds is that anaerobic zone. So you can think of any sport that falls into that bracket. And that's the vast majority of them. Okay, the third uh, group is the aerobic group. So that's anything um, above kind of like 90 seconds, um, three minutes. So it, it goes on infinitely then. Okay, so that would be your endurance runners, um, your long distance runners, any of that, any event that goes on for, you know, a sustained period of time. Now, there will be aspects of all three you will use in, for example, rugby and hurling. You will have to have a base of aerobic conditioning and you will have to have a base of uh, like a phosphorylating system. Okay. But my point is understand the demands of your sport and eat to that demands. And the last point here is just what's the individual focus right now or what's your individual demand right now. So if you are trying to cut body fat, and you were in the week of your first championship game, it's not a, it's not a sensible um, protocol. You will be depleting yourself of, of energy and it's gonna have a detrimental effect on your performance, okay? So there's, there's different times to have a different focus and that's really, really important. So for another, another way of looking at this, if, if powerlifters here and or bodybuilders, they will have specific hypertrophy locks whereby they will look to increase muscle, muscle size and it's important for them to be in a calorie surplus. So to be eating more food than they normally would because their, their training demands are much higher. If they were not to eat the adequate amounts of nutrition, they would under recover. So it's this continuous balancing act of pushing the needle, um, but also eating to, to the demands of it. Okay, so these four nutrition principles will carry over to the vast majority of sports and sports people. There is a couple of outliers, of course, and again, it's more, probably more on an individual basis, more so than uh, one whole group. These four nutrition principles will, will apply to the younger athletes, which you'll see we'll, we'll go over, but also if, if you're not an, an actively uh, engaging sports person, you just eat, you just train to be healthy. I think these are just, to simplify things, these four nutrition principles are really good ways to go. Sorry, no. No, there we go. So now we're going to have a look at the three, macro, the three macronutrients and vegetables and fruit. The idea behind looking at, at these three macronutrients is that I give you just, just a bit of understanding around, around them and why we need them. I think it's all well and good me saying eat this, this, and this, but if you don't really know why you're eating it, you're less likely to engage in it. Okay. So in no particular order, protein, the function is muscle growth and repair. So again, anyone involved in regular resistance training or weight training, you understand why this is so important anyone that's not involved in it it's also got a huge um a huge benefit just from general growth particularly the younger people as we'll see we want to have complete sources of protein so when i say complete sources there's they are sources that have all essential amino acids 
So most animal, animal sources are going to have this uh, versus your plant type proteins. And protein is hugely important for when it comes to fat loss and muscle gain. So we think off season, we think the vast majority of, of sports, they will look to either uh, reduce the body fat of some players or increase the muscle size of other players. Okay. Very rarely does some guy, does he, does he stay as is. So the protein plays a very important role in it. Now the, the drop side, the protein is that it's a little bit more expensive to buy than carbohydrates. And it's just to be mindful of that. So serving suggestions with regards to protein. So if you're a person that counts their, their calories to the gram, um, the daily required or recommended amount is 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight or 0.4 grams per kilo per kilogram per meal. That's you're having four to five meals a day. Okay. We want to be having roughly 25 to 40 grams post-training. And if you're if you're like the vast majority of us who doesn't count calories, um, then using your, your, your hand is a very good method. And I'm also going to go through. So you want two palm size portions is a general rule. Okay. So we'll just say, for example, you are having scrambled egg for your breakfast. You are going to look down. You're either going to have 0.4 grams per, per your body weight of scrambled egg, or else you're going to have two palm size portions of scrambled egg. Okay. To make it really simple. You will often find people are under eating on their protein. It's the most common thing I see. Okay. And one reason is because they don't realize the importance of it. And the second reason is it is a, it, it is a little bit more um, pricey. So it does take a bit more, more planning. But it is very, very doable to have a high protein diet at a very reasonable um, like, like amount per week. It is doable. You just need to have awareness on it and you need to shop around. Okay, so that's protein, hugely important for every sport and for every age group. Um, I cannot go into this enough. Regular protein in our, in our day is going to be hugely, hugely important. Just regards the, the fat loss, because I know it's something that does pop up and is very common. And it's the first thing, again, I would go through is their protein requirements. What's really important when it comes to protein and fat loss is that Protein has a satiating effect, which makes which means it makes you fuller for longer, okay? And it also has a higher thermic effect on, on food, which basically means you burn more calories, okay? So from that point of view, um, in relation to fat loss, it's really, really beneficial. Okay. Our second macronutrient is going to be carbohydrates, which is going to be our primary fuel source for most sports, uh, particularly field sports, uh, because it's quick to metabolize and oxidize, okay? It's there is a I've got a question here. Opinions on red meat controversy or vegan diets. Um, yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, I personally have nothing against vegan diets if people don't eat meat because uh, for ethical reasons, I'm all for that. Um, but regards it, the quality of the the protein from vegan foods, it is it is subpar, and that's you you should realize that that it is it is below the level of it, it basically it's not complete they're called incomplete proteins um, which basically which means they don't have enough essential amino acids in them so what vegans will do is they will merge two forms of uh, of protein sources to try and get in all their essential amino acids or two or three whereas someone just eats a steak and they get them all 
the red meat controversy. Um, yeah, like they say red meat can cause a lot of inflammation and kind of a lot of gut issues. I presume that's what you're on about, Isabella. And I don't know, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting one because I do know people that are on a, what's called a carnivore diet, which is where they just eat meat predominantly um, and some salt. And they say, so they've taught me that their joint pain is at an all-time low. Their body fat is at an all-time low and they, they feel great. So I guess when it comes to different diets, I think there is, there's, merit to, there's merit to a vegan diet, there's merit to a carnivore. But for me, and I probably should have said at the start, um, probably should have said at the start, that I look for trying to apply a balanced approach to it. So my, my, um, my, my, my take on it all has been just to go with as much balance as possible. Uh, these like a red meat, a diet, high, a diet high red meat, or a diet predominantly like vegetarian or vegan, they're extremist, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, some people, some people get on really good results. Other people, it's not as suited for. Uh, what's the effect of eating too much protein? Um, like, okay, so if we just say, for example, they haven't, they've, they've, there's studies done to, to show people eating up to four grams per kilogram of body weight. And there wasn't really any like, negative effect. But if you can imagine, okay, first of all, it's, it's going to be really hard to eat that amount of protein. Uh, number two, it's probably going to be hard enough to break down on the gut. But the, the third one that I, that I would see more so, you've got a set amount of calories to use. If you're, if you're going to use up most of your calories on protein, like protein isn't very, there isn't much energy released from protein. So like fat and carbohydrates have far more energy. So you won't have, you're, you're essentially kind of wasting your calories a small bit. Because after like two two, two and a half grams per kilogram of body weight of protein. After that, it kind of loses its effect. Like it's not going to make you, it's not going to like speed up fat metabolism or muscle building past that. Once you're kind of hitting about two to two and a half, maybe three, um, like that's, that's plenty in my opinion anyway. Okay. So yeah, two good questions. Okay. So Carbohydrates are a primary fuel source. They're quick to metabolize and oxidize. They're extremely important for digestive health. Um, so we have like fast carbohydrates and slow releasing carbohydrates. Slow releasing would be like oats and sweet potatoes and pastas, all that kind of stuff. Um, they take a couple of hours to be, they're kind of like obviously more slowly released into the system. And a faster releasing carbohydrates would be uh, more sugary based stuff like like fruit bars and, and fruit and so on okay um so this idea of carb loading because i know it's a question that comes up a lot when it comes to sports okay um the science behind it is like bar an event lasts over 90 minutes there's kind of really no need for it it will increase your time to exhaustion but you will be heavier as a result okay probably should have sorry should have explained what carb loading was carb loading is in the lead up to an event that you would eat uh, an extra amount of calories in your, your days leading up and you would taper back on your training. Okay. So that does two things. Uh, number one, you're not going to burn off as all the glycogen in the muscle stores because the training isn't as hard, but number two, you're going to have more glycogen in the muscle stores. So essentially more energy to use up. Okay. But bear in mind for every gram of carbohydrates you have, you're going to have three uh, molecules of water attached to it. Okay, so the water is going to make you heavier. So this is why when someone's doing a weight cut, 
they will load up in water um, and then they will reduce their water but also reduce their carbohydrates at the same time. When you have carbs, you are going to have water attached to it. It's just the way the molecule is broken up. <clears throat> so carb loading for the vast majority of sports, particularly amateur, there is no need for it. So serving suggestions, if you're counting grams, okay, so between three and five grams per kilogram per day. So if you're 80 kilos, uh, multiply that by five, it's 400 grams, break it up into four meals, the 100 grams per meal. So moderate to high levels of training, you can obviously increase that. Why would you increase that? Because carbohydrates is your primary fuel source. You will need it for more energy. And endurance athletes can have anything up to 12 grams per kilogram per day. That's a lot of carbohydrates to get through. Okay, and if you're not into counting uh, calories and grams and so on, no problem. One to two fist-sized portions per meal as a general guide. Okay, so just bear in mind that anytime we use the, the hand measurement guide, that it's not going to be as, as accurate, just as long as you know that. But it is, it's, it's a pretty good guide. Okay, so that's carbohydrates. Um, next, we're going to move on to, why is this not moving for me? Apologies. No, sorry. Next, we're going to move on to fat. So a fat, again, is another source of energy. But just bear in mind, it is going to be a bit more uh, calorie dense. So the role of, uh, of fat is also to protect our organs. We want the vast majority of our fat sources to come from uh, unsaturated fats. Okay, so the serving suggestion here is roughly a gram per kilogram um, as a daily amount. And again, so we use our we use our thumb on this, so it's a far smaller uh, portion size. Okay, and just on this, right? I think the portion size is where a lot of people get caught up when it comes to fat, and they get a little bit confused. So if you take, for, for example, the bottom, the avocado. I'm going to be slightly off here, but I think the portion size for an avocado is about a sixth of an avocado or something like that, or even as in an eight. It's basically the size of your thumb. And you can tell by looking at that picture that your thumb is only going to take up a very small portion of the avocado. Yet how many people cut up a full avocado, chop it up um, and eat the full thing with, with toast and, and they perceive it as being extremely healthy. And that's what I want to try and get at tonight, that it's this awareness that Sometimes stuff we perceive to be extremely healthy might not be as healthy as we actually think or might not be in the right amounts that we need. Okay, so just to be mindful of that, that the portion size for fat is a lot smaller than a lot of the other macronutrients. So, but there is some really good examples like, like milk, especially you know, organic milk and, and peanut butter. Like fat is really, really important, especially from an inflammation point of view. So not to be... Uh, not to be neglecting it either is, is really important because it, it is needed. Okay, and our last, this isn't, uh, vegetables and fruit isn't a macronutrient, but I kind of include it as, okay? So it's a, they're a great source of fiber. They're really good for our gut and for immune health, and they can be beneficial for weight loss. Okay, so fiber is, is similar to protein in that it's got a high thermic effect, which basically means it's going to burn calories at a faster rate. Uh, which essentially is good for anyone who wants to, to lose fat. Uh, and why it's also beneficial for fat loss is, be is because they're very low in calories. Okay, so if I give you a bowl of 
spinach and tomatoes, onions, and whatever else, salad basically. And I gave you a bowl of crisps, which would you be like more likely to go through? The crisps, yet they would probably be six, seven, eight, nine, ten times the calories. Okay, so we can fill up the plate an awful lot more when it comes to to vegetables and fruit. Okay, so the recommended amounts is five plus servings daily, or two fistfuls per meal. So again, anyone counting their, their calories or tracking their macros, we want to be hitting around 25 to 40 grams of fiber um, per, uh, per day. Okay, so that is going to vary from person to person, but generally 40 grams is a good place to be aiming for. Fiber is just really, as I said, really important for that gut and for that stomach and to make sure our digestive system is moving well. Okay. This is just a summary of, of what we went through. So the, the four macronutrients, their purpose, good examples. Uh, there's plenty more examples as we go through it, but also some bad examples. Like I was saying, uh, bad is probably the wrong term, maybe not as good. But again, if a person is, is trying to uh, fuel and they have the option of the KFC chicken versus the, the farm rare chicken, which is going to be better for the body, okay? Um, and we've got all the, the generic portion size on the, on the, on the right-hand side using the hand. So it's just to be aware as when we're picking up our meals as we go along um, and we're educated, okay? But these, these four areas, these are going to make up the vast majority of our meals. So that's why I'm, I, I went to such detail on them, is these are going to pick up the bulk of what we eat. Okay, it's very much outside of that bracket. Now, there is going to be a small crossover, right, between like uh, protein foods and fat foods, uh, carbohydrate foods and fat foods, or whatever it may be. There's going to be a small kind of interchange there. It's also worth mentioning that fruit and veg is going to cross over heavily with carbohydrates as well, okay? Particularly fruit because it's going to be a source of uh, sugar, so it's going to be fall into that fast-releasing carbohydrate bracket. Okay, so building a winning, building a winning meal. Uh, like I said, guys, any questions, pop them in as we go along and I'll answer them as we, as we go through. But building a winning meal, okay, this is, this is my approach. And look, it's worth mentioning here that this is a general approach. Depending on your sport, the demands of your sport, the time of the year, this will vary ever so slightly. But I think this is a really good template to start off with when it comes to putting together your meals, okay? And look, we start at the bottom and I have put protein at the bottom and i think for for most cases protein is the most important to get right first once we have gotten that right we can then look at like adding up the rest of the bits but we get our protein in order first and then we build from there so on a sunday night you should know what your four sources of protein are going to be for that day okay um fruit and veg is next again from that point of view of of health, so our gut health, our immune health, and if you remember way back at the start, health precedes performance. And that similar approach applies to protein, whereby the function of protein is muscle growth and repair, doesn't repair again, well, that all comes back to health. Okay, and then our last two are carbohydrates, and then and finally fat. So protein, most important, followed by fruit and veg, so that will give you pretty much a low calorie, but like high nutrient meal. And then you add your carbohydrates and your fat to that. Okay. Most people will flip that on its head and they will, they will 
have a diet primarily focused around carbohydrates and fats. Why? Because they, they taste nicer. They're far more palatable. They're way higher in sugar, okay, which got that almost like addictive uh, nature to it. And number three, they're much more affordable. And number four, they're always going to be in your face. When have you went up to a shopping till and a, and a fillet of steak is, is lying in front of you? It's not how it works because it doesn't sell that way. Okay, so the stuff that we, that we, our bodies needs, we have to go looking for them and we have to use our imagination. They're hidden in different parts of the shop. Okay, but as a rule of thumb, when you're shopping, protein, fruit and veg make up the bulk of it. Carbs and fats fill out the rest of it. Now, as I said, this is a very general approach. If I had someone that was going running a marathon, then the carbohydrates would be would be their primary uh, macronutrient of working. Okay, so ensuring carb loading isn't taking place. If they don't have the carbs in their system, they don't have the energy, they can't do their sport. The amount of carbohydrates and fats needed to play like uh, hurling or camogie, rugby, is it's not it's not as much as you think. Um, and even on the other side of that scale, the powerlifting, weightlifting, is pretty much non-existent. Whereas protein to ensure muscle growth and repair is happening, fruit and veg to ensure we're healthy and our gut is um, is 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 functioning properly. That is far more important. Carbs and fats are, you know, they're easy accessible. Uh, they're everywhere we look, and they don't they aren't, they aren't important for the sport. Okay, so like I said, this is a very general approach, but I think it's a good starting point for ninety percent of people. Again, coming back to that person that maybe isn't actively in sport right now, was just trained to be healthier and fitter, this is definitely suited for you, okay? Particularly if you want to lean up or you want to tone up, again, this would be very much suited for you. Okay, so next we're going to look at building a winning meal and just some different plate examples. So the first one is like a maintenance or a moderate workout type session. So the plate is divided in, so in half. So one half, we've got vegetables and fruit. It takes up about 50% of the plate. <clears throat> and the other two quarters, so it's going to be quarter protein and a quarter carbohydrates or starch. Okay. Again, it goes without saying we want good sources of this. Okay. The second type is a diet where we are emphasizing gaining muscle or in heavy training. And here we see a reduction in the vegetables and fruit and an increase in the protein and starch. So why would that be? Because the heavier training means more energy requirements for the body. So there's going to be more muscle fiber broken down, more protein. Uh, the, the starches or the carbohydrates is where the energy comes from. We're going to have to deposit some of the energy, some more um, carbohydrates into the system as well. Okay, and the last third type is a losing weight or a leaning out or even a rest day type meal where it's, again, half the plate is vegetables and fruit, 35% of it is protein, and 15% is starch. So when you look at that, why would 15% of it, why has it gone down so low here? Why has it gone down to 15% carbohydrates? Because carbohydrates tend to be a bit more calorie dense than, than protein and vegetables. It's also worth mentioning that it goes without saying that fats will be included in each of the meals here, just a thumb size portion. But it gives you a good idea as to how you would break up your meals and how you would design your meals depending on the demands of your sport and the demands of the year. <clears throat> so 
for that person who is, you know, just, just trains to be healthy or they're happy with their body composition. They just want to focus on their sport. The maintenance or moderate workout type meal type plan is really, really good. So half the plate, veg or fruit, quarter protein and a quarter of carbohydrate based. Depending if the training is particularly much harder or you want to put on muscle, then you would take some of that uh, vegetable requirements and pop them into the carbohydrates and the protein. <clears throat> and the last option is where we pull back on the carbohydrates because they require more calories and we push it towards the protein. And again, uh, higher protein levels here in the case of the leaning out will ensure more of a fat loss effect. So it's just a really good uh, and simple way of looking at different, different ways our plate should look. Okay, not every meal, not everyone is going to have a big plate of food four times a day, but more often than not, your breakfast is going to have this breakup, your dinner is going to have it, and probably you know, a snack or a lunch of some degree. Okay. <coughs> so, um, yeah, so that's just a real simple way of looking at it. And I think it would serve us really well if you said to yourself, okay, what do I want to do right now? Do I want to maintain, gain, or lose? Okay, and you design your your plate around that. Just bear in mind the, the demands of your sport, as I said, the time of year with your sport and what is required right now. Step one, choose your protein. Step two, choose your veg. Step three, choose your carbs. And step four, choose your fat. So fat isn't in the examples here, but you would obviously add it in. So the next couple of slides, we're going to go through, there is, sorry, there's a, loads and loads of meal options for you, okay? So as you can see, we haven't touched on any foods as such yet, okay? But once you have an understanding of what goes in each section, you have great flexibility to design and put in what you want, okay? As opposed to me saying, I want you to eat salmon, and I want you to eat chicken then, and I want you to eat turkey after that. And you're like, I don't like chicken, turkey, or salmon. Okay, but what do you like? And you, you can go to your protein samples. You can pick out foods that you like. You can come back to your plate and go, okay, Dara said I want to get a quarter of my plate to be, to be protein-based. Then I can pop that in. Okay, so use the samples we've given in the last couple of slides around the, the foods. And don't be stuck into like, eat this, this, and this at this time. I know structure is really important and meal plans are great and all that, but sometimes they're just a cop-out. If you have education and you're aware about the stuff, you can eat anywhere as you go once you have a bit of education around the matter. That's what I really wanted to give to people tonight. But anyway, here is some just examples if you want to freshen things up. So here is 10 breakfast options. So smoothies, omelets, smoked salmon, yogurts, porridge, eggs, usually, and so on and so forth. Okay, as I said, I'll send all these out to you anyway. Uh, lunch options, omelets, mince, soup, turkey slices, chicken salads, sandwiches, overnight oats, and dinner and snack options. So there's tons and tons of stuff there. There's probably 40 different examples. So there's plenty of variation there, okay? Once you have an understanding of what goes into food, and it's not that complicated really, okay? You can pick out the foods that you like and pop them in there. Once you've got the sound principles, the four nutrition principles nailed down, you know what phase of training you're in right now. 
Are you gaining, maintaining, or losing? From there, you should know exactly either what gram to the gram you're looking for in certain foods, or size going off your hands, or using the plate examples. From there, you just pick the foods and pop them in. So just to be mindful not to overemphasize on, on, on the likes of carbohydrates and fats, I think that's, that's really important just to reiterate once more because they're designed in a way that we, the, the, the bigger, bigger, scaling, bigger scale wants you to overconsume on them. Okay, they're, they're cheaper, they're more readily available, they're in your face, don't be fooled. Okay, start out your protein, start out your veg first and go from there. Okay, so just getting into pre and post training strategies now. So we're just changing gears ever so slightly. So pre training or pre competition, however you want to look at it, uh, this is in relation to most most sports. Okay, so three to four hours before training or competing, we want to consume a meal containing slow releasing carbohydrates. This can contain protein and fat also, but we want roughly 50% of this portion to be based on good quality carbs like sweet potato, whole grain, whole grain rice, and whole grain pasta. Okay. 30 minutes before training, we want more fast-acting carbohydrates. So fruit, fruit bars, dates, raisins, yogurts, and so on. Okay. So a couple of hours beforehand, more slower releasing, and then 30 minutes beforehand just something light that's going to act much more quicker okay so pretty simple thing to remember three hours slow releasing 30 minutes fast releasing and we're talking predominantly about carbohydrates because they are faster to be oxidized and faster to be used and they're more readily available and then post training and again this will apply to everyone no matter what sport it is the three r's okay so you want to replenish rehydrate and repair so by re replenish, we want to replenish the glycogen stores, which will be depleted during exercise. We replenish these stores with carbohydrates. So when we consume carbohydrates, our glycogen stores get filled up. When we exercise, they get depleted. We must fill them back up. Rehydrate, so we want to replace lost fluids, so one and a half liters for every kilogram lost during exercise. And the last one to repair, we want to eat good quality lean proteins when we finish training as muscle fibers will have been remodeled and we want to positively improve them. So there used to be an old uh, theory that you had to eat within 20 minutes of, of finishing training. You had to have a protein shake that your body had been damaged so much that it, it craved this, this uh, sudden burst of protein. It's not necessarily true. As long as we hit our, our daily protein requirements, we're fairly okay there, okay? What I would say is the, the sooner you can have a meal after training, the better, but a lot of people don't tend to feel up to it. They don't, don't, the stomach doesn't really agree to it, and that's totally understandable. And this would be, this would be slightly individual, like pre and post training strategies. Uh, like some people might want to eat for three, four, five hours before it, okay? But just, just have awareness around it that we do need something slow releasing in our body a couple of hours beforehand. And if, if, if we're feeling up to having something a bit more faster releasing closer to the game or closer to the competition, that will be beneficial for us too. And again, they can be quite light little snacks. Post-training, the three R's, replenish, rehydrate, repair. Some sports will cause uh, rehydration will be hugely important. And for other sports, it won't play as much of an issue. 
Okay, I don't, I don't know if I've ever lost any any liters off me uh, powerlifting, but I've lost a lot uh, playing hurling and stuff, depending on uh, on the heat. So, may, uh, weighing yourself before and after is a real sensible thing to do here. Okay. Okay, so reducing inflammation. So this is kind of outside the box a small bit, but it's really, really important when you see the what happens at like a, a cellular level, okay? So exercise-induced damage to muscles triggers an increase in strength and endurance. So basically when we train, we cause muscle fiber tears, um, but this damage will also lead to inflammation in the muscles. So when muscles are inflamed, they're sore, uh, which will cause a loss of strength and range of motion. So anyone that has ever trained um, will notice this, this feeling of, of soreness the following day, that is inflammation in the muscles. Okay, and at that given point, you have a reduced range of strength and range of motion. So you're probably thinking to yourself, then I just won't train at all. Well, if you don't train at all, we don't tear the muscle fibers, which means we don't ever improve. So we have to, uh, we have to create this, this adaptation in the body in order to improve. So what kind of things can help speed up this uh, reduction in inflammation, basically? That's what we're looking at. So omega-3 fatty acids, especially are needed to regulate the level of inflammation in your body. So these are found in things like oily fish, nuts, seeds, avocados, uh, general good quality oils, uh, turmeric, the spice, ginger, and cherries can all help reduce inflammation. So what, you, what you'll see in the first couple of foods is they're all sources of fat. So if we think back to our previous slides and we were chatting on fat and how excessive fat can be detrimental and majority of people will fuel through carbohydrates. So we take a person, they fuel through carbohydrates, they have lots of energy to train, getting lots of training in, lots of you know, breakdown happening within the body, um, but the inflammation is still quite high. We can speed that inflammation up um, by including good fats in our diet. Okay, and there's uh, avoiding excessive sugar, excessive red meat, consuming foods you're intolerant to, alcohol, and too much dairy. Okay, these are all things that are going to cause inflammation in your body. So, Isabella, going back to your question, too much red meat, you can have a lot of joint issue. Then again, as I said, um, the carnivore diet is, is, is making strides out there right now, and there's guys out there and they're, you know, they're resistance training on a diet like that. So it, look, it really does depend, but in my opinion, to reduce inflammation, I would look at, at these markers, particularly, particularly sugar, processed foods and alcohol. They're the three, they're the three big ones. And alcohol is a huge contributor to high levels of inflammation. It's important to remember that. Okay. Okay. So we're getting through it. Hydration. And hydration is one of those things that, like everyone says, yeah, have to be hydrated. Yeah, yeah, we get it. But no one actually really steps back for a second and just asks why. Okay. And teams nowadays, uh, you know, have been for some time, have been looking to get this extra percent, this extra yard here, extra yard there. They bring in the top sports scientists here and there. Um, but if you look here at 2% dehydration, which is very little, can cause a decrease in performance by up to 20%. So for me, hydration is one of the lowest hanging fruits for someone that wants to optimize their performance. Okay. Um, at 4% dehydration, the blood thickens. Um, what that means is it's going to move slower throughout the body. 
Dehydration impairs muscle endurance and can lead to injury. A good, a good gauge for hydration requirements is 35 mil per kilogram of body weight. So a 60 kilogram person, about 2.1 liters. And this will vary a lot from person to person due to sweat rates of individuals. We'll see that with adolescents, they will, they'll sweat an awful lot more, so they'll need more water. And for me, hydration is very controllable. During training, try to be constantly sipping on water, avoid massive gulps, this can lead to stitch or cramping. Again, that's more relevant to kind of a field sport, but the first line, hydration is very controllable, is applicable to absolutely everyone. Water, it's, it's free, it's readily available. It's just a matter of putting it into your mouth and drinking it. So this hydration chart here on the right is the simplest way of checking if you're hydrated or not. So we're looking for a, like a peachy to a clear colored urine that's optimal or well hydrated. When it starts to go to like a yellow color or brown color, you're, you're in trouble. And at that point, you're dehydrated. So if you're going on to a pitch for a game and you go to the loo beforehand and you'd see it's this color, it's too late. Okay, you're not going to be get the water into your system by the time you get out to that. Okay, so hydration is a thing that has to, it's a continuous uh, process. Um, so we need to be constantly keeping on top of it. Okay, what would be considered overhydration? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, overhydration, and I actually think, to be totally honest, I fall into this bracket myself at times. <laughs> uh, overhydration symptoms are the exact same as underhydration. So headaches, loss of performance, dizziness, and so on and so forth. But you will, I think one of the best examples is you will see that the urine is perfectly um, like, like see-through uh, all the time, which probably isn't good. Okay, we do want like a tiny bit of color to it. Again, I was just getting very much into the intrinsics of it, but we do want a tiny bit of color to it, but we just don't want it like yellow or brown. Uh, what would be considered over, like what I would do is I would work out your, what your, you, is required for you. So your 35 mil by your body weight. And from there, you will be able to find out exactly how much you should be having per day. Um, and then just maybe drink that for a day and see, oh God, I, that's, that's way less than what I normally do. That's way more than what I normally do. And that will give you a very good idea as to what your kind of hydration has been to up to that point. So yeah, hydration, overhydration is definitely an issue worth um, being mindful of as well, that people can get obsessed when it comes to water and it's constant need to drink it back. As I said, sometimes I feel like I'm falling into that bracket myself. Uh, it's just, just all habits. But um, yeah. Okay, so hydration, so, so important. Like 2% dehydration can cause a decrease in performance by up to 20%. That to me is just like the lowest hanging fruit of all this. Uh, for anyone involved in a club um, or around a group of people, putting one of these charts in the changing rooms is a real good idea. And even beside where it says hydrated on top, just like good team player, and versus dehydrated, not a team player, because they're taking so much, taking up to 20% from the team. Okay. So it's a little bit something different, okay? But very much related to nutrition. So body composition. And this is something I'm really, this is something I'm really, um, I'm, I'm passionate about when it comes to this, okay? And particularly when it comes to sport. So every sport has an ideal body composition. 
every sport and every position has an ideal body composition is probably a better way of phrasing that. Okay, so what does your sport require? So we're going to look at the bottom here at Keen Healy, okay, who in my opinion has an optimal body, body composition for an international prop forward versus someone like Johnny Sexton, who is probably 30 kilos lighter than him and he plays out half. Yet Johnny Sexton has an optimal body composition for his position. Okay, so two different positions, yet both men with optimal body compositions. Okay, so in a sport like rugby, that would be the case that different positions will have different shapes and they will have different uh, requirements. The body composition for a strongman or a sumo wrestler is going to be very, very different to that of a hurler. So in those sports, particular strength sports, they will look to have excess body fat because uh, more mass means more potential to, be, to, to move weight, basically. Okay? And their sport is, is driven off that fact. But in relation to something like a, a hurling or a football, soccer, there is a kind of a general marker where we want to be. So if you look at the, the graph at the bottom, we want to be somewhere in between that 6 to 17 mark. Okay, so for anyone listening to the audio, just so for men, it's essential fat is between two and five percent, athletic range between six and 13, fitness is between 14 and 17, average is 18 to 24, and obese is 25 and up. Okay, so a lot of the strong men and the sumo wrestlers would fall into that bracket of obese, but it's it's intentional. Um a bodybuilder up on stage or Conor McGregor weighing in, he's going to fall into that 2 to 5% body fat. But you could see how either side of that spectrum would not be optimal for, for hurling or for rugby. If Conor McGregor was to come onto a hurling pitch in, he's in with 2% body fat, he wouldn't have the energy nor the weight behind him to do that. Similarly, if he somebody who was 25% body fat they wouldn't be able to get around the pitch. Okay, so different sports have different demands from a body composition point of view. Uh, and the better, the closer we can get to the optimal, the better it is going to be for us. So every club in the country here and most sports, they're going to have a strength and conditioning coach. Okay, and I myself am a, con a strength and conditioning coach with a number of different teams and I've been so with different sports. And things managers will want, they'll want for players to be faster, to be stronger, to have better endurance, stay less injury uh, prone, and have more confidence. And all of these things can be achieved if you have less body fat. If I'm 100 kilos and I lose 5 kilos, I now have 5 kilos less to carry around. I'm going to be faster. My power to weight ratio is going to be higher. So... If, it just, if anyone's ever ran with like a uh, weighted vest on, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about right now. That excess body fat, if we can remove that, it has a huge effect. Okay, again, 100 kilos down to 95 kilos, that's a loss of five kilos. That's five kilos less stress on our ankles, our knees, our hips. Okay, all these joints that are weight-bearing. So it's hugely important from that point of view as well. And lastly, from a confidence point of view, okay, most people, men and women, young, old, doesn't matter, they want to be at a body fat percentage that they are happy with and that they are confident with, okay? This isn't a 
body shaming statement. It's no, this is just common sense that people, everyone, myself included, want to be working towards a body competition that we are happy with and that will incre increase our confidence. And I think that's just uh, that when it comes to like strength conditioning, all those or all this training we put in and the lowest hanging fruit of them all is body composition. If we can get lads leaner and ladies leaner, then we are in a, a great position um, to be far more athletic. It's just easier to do it. Okay. And there's probably someone on the line here going, hang on a second. What about so-and-so that was a great footballer or a great hurler and he, he was carrying a few extra pounds. And there is people, there is outliers to this, most definitely. But I think the 95% of the, of the top athletes in the world, they fall into this athletic or fitness range. I think that's, you, we can always learn from the people that are at the top of their game. What are they doing? How are they looking? And so on. Using the preseason as a time to improve on body composition is an intelligent approach as it won't affect pitch sessions. As I said, the confidence that comes with being lean is hugely important. I cannot emphasize that enough. Nutrition is the single most important factor to improving body fat percentage. So that's why it's in here. Okay, you cannot out-train a bad diet. I don't care who you are, you are not going to out-train a bad diet. Train as hard as you want. If you eat crap on top of it, you're going to keep getting fatter. Getting lean is actually not that complicated. It is we're going to go back over all the factors we've done, but like it comes down to reducing what we're taking in. You can't just keep expecting to train it off. That's kind of an old school mentality. It's not really true. It's, it's, it's very, very hard to do it. Okay. So nutrition, getting your nutrition bang on is the single most important factor to improving body fat percentage. Okay. And it's just uh, worth noting that the female percentage are all a little bit higher than the male percentage. And that's just to do with female um, genetics and body types. They have to carry more body fat than, than males. Just, just do it uh, reproductive, reproduction basically. Okay. So our last slide for tonight is going to be on younger athletes. So if anyone has, has kids here or deals with kids or coaches kids, whatever it may be, these are just some thoughts. And then I have some science uh, at the end. So I think that kids should base their nutrition requirements off the four principles that I've given already. So a food first approach, food before supplements. And that's really important. That if you're dealing with a male, probably 15 or 16, they're, they're, for some reason, they're really drawn to, to protein supplements. Food first, organic, whole foods first. They don't need supplements. Balance in the foods not to be overly consuming one of the areas. Um, what's common, again, I was a young male at one stage as well, but not to be, especially the carbohydrates and the sugar, okay? That's, again, younger people, older people, there is a draw towards sugar, but just be mindful of that. We want to get a balance as best, as best we can throughout all our meals. We want to create routine, um, with the timing of the meals and what they look like, uh, it's going to put them in really good like state to have habits for lifelong habits, basically that will serve them really, really good. Um, I spoke to a guy before, and he was a researcher in the field of obesity, and 
just having a chat, he said basically that he feels that habits and routines are more to cause, are one of the biggest causes of, of, of obesity, more so than the food or the food choices or this and that. Okay, it was the habits and the routines these people had built up. They were just impossible to break. So I think the power of routine, the power of habits is not to be underestimated. And if you can ingrain really good routines and habits with a young uh, male or female, it's, it is, it's amazing. It's really good. And also the demands. So uh, a, a younger adolescent is going to be going to need more calories as it's because they will burn, uh, they will expend approximately 25% more than adults and they're going to need protein for growth and calcium. Okay. So therefore, I think if we can nail those four with, with kids and, and adolescents, teenagers, they will serve them really, really well. I don't think there's any need to going like weighing food or anything like that. Okay. Appetite can be a good gauge of how to eat, but bear in mind the types of food they are eating. So this comes back to the balance. If the diet is predominantly like carbohydrate based, then yeah, you, you, they can feel hungry all the time. I know I did when I was 15 or 16, but I also realized now that there was very little protein in my diet. So protein is, is that satiating effect where it's going to keep you fuller for longer as does fruit and veg. Another reason why I emphasize it so hard. Okay. So if they're getting the good stuff basically in uh, regular uh, meals, they're less likely to be you know, constantly hungry. And look, the first, the first meal of the day is the breakfast. I'd probably start there. I'd nail that first and go from there. Most of them have a bowl of cereal, like Cocoa Pops or Sugar Puffs or whatever's, the, whatever's cool right now. And like, it's just predominantly carbohydrates. It's going to cause this massive spike in, in insulin and they're going to be craving again straight away. Okay, so just three do's and don'ts. Do set a good example as a parent. They will look up to you and they'll copy what you do. Do encourage good decisions and praise good efforts. And do have healthy snacks readily available. If there's nothing healthy there, they're going to, they're going to snack on crap. They have no other choice. They'll take a fiver out of your purse and they'll look around to the shop. So have, have, have that stuff available for them. Three don'ts. Don't label as a diet. I just think that, and again, this is, this is a personal thing, but I think labeling, labeling it as a diet with someone young, it just, um, I don't know. I just, I just think that it, it sends off kind of negative uh, signals to the child and eating disorders may, may come down the line. I know that there is research into you know, the stigma of, of diets and how it can lead to eating disorders. So from that point of view, I, I don't turn, tend to label stuff. As, I wouldn't tend to label stuff as a diet around a younger child. Uh, but that is my own opinion. Uh, don't use food as a reward. Again, similar to above, that stigma. And don't ban foods or proclaim they will make them fat. Just educate them. Okay, so like, if a young teenager could learn the idea behind energy balance. It would serve them so well for the rest of their life, particularly if they were somebody that, that struggled with their weight or was weight conscious. If that idea was just explained to them and it's not that complicated, if I can learn it, anyone can learn it. Um, if that idea was explained to them that there isn't just that to be banning foods or it just, it just creates this kind of the wrong impression with food at a young age. Okay. Particularly if they're, if they're athletic kids and, and they're involved in groups and all their mates are going getting whatever it is, bag of crisps and 
they feel like they can't because their parents have banned it. I just think it sets them up for a bit of, you know, the wrong road maybe. And some specifics when it comes to younger athletes, they can expand the practice 25% more calories than adults in certain exercises. Uh, protein is most definitely needed, but from good sources, there's no need to supplement. Remember, protein is needed for muscle growth and repair. Younger male and female um, going through, through puberty or whatever it may be, um, there's going to be a, a lot of growth and repair happening there. Okay, And they're much more susceptible to dehydration to adults. For each kilogram they lose, again, they drink one and a half liters. Just be mindful of that. And I think that kind of goes without saying that teenagers tend to sweat an awful lot more. Um, that's kind of, yeah, I think most people kind of get that. Uh, what healthy snacks would you recommend? Okay, so healthy snacks, um, I'm going to presume you mean in relation to a, a child. Yeah, so healthy snacks. So you can use any of the 10 snacks we have kind of, I've given them the sheets below. But again, if we come back, what, what do we want to, what do we want our, the basics of our meals to make up? So we want to look predominantly around the, the protein side of things, and the fruit and veg, and, and then we, we pluck into the carbs. Okay, but we want the foods to be prim primarily like whole grain, minimally processed foods. So stuff like yogurt, really, really good. Like Greek yogurt, even better again. Fruits, brilliant. Um, I guess then just having like, <clears throat> just, just having like, even like, like tuna and stuff or crackers and cheese, that kind of stuff can all help. Snacks with, snacks with, with teenagers is probably the hardest part. I guess if you could, uh, engage them predominantly with their meals and ensure they're quite full from them, not snacking a whole pile. But having, having fruit on the go is going to be really important. If you're looking for something that kind of crosses over between that, uh, it's a snack, but it, it, it's good for us, but it tastes really nice. Like protein balls are a really good example, like homemade protein balls. And like, why not even, you know, get your child to make them, do you know what I mean? And, you know, you kind of make them together. Might be a bit of fun and I think it would serve them really, really good. Like homemade energy balls or protein balls would be really, really beneficial. They're easy to pick up. You're not going to eat a whole pile of them because they're quite tough. They're quite um they're quite heavy. Um so yeah, that'd be really good. Some some good ideas. Myself, what I'm what I'm big to snack on is is stuff like quark. So there's a fitness quark in Aldi. It's really high in protein, really filling. I love it. Uh Stuff like biltong, um, fruit, big fruit guy. Um, apart from that, like I don't snack a whole pile. I understand uh, younger uh, men and women will tend to snack a little bit more because just be a tad bit hungrier. But my point is just when they're sitting down eating the bigger meals that they're getting more into them through that. Hope that answers your question, Eve. But there is a, a section with um, on this where there's 10 or 12 different snack examples. Okay. Okay, folks. So we have come to the end of the sports nutrition uh, presentation. So any questions, pop them into the chat box right now. Okay. Uh, I'll hang around, answer as many as I can. Uh, so you can be on anything from the start. As, as I said, don't, don't hesitate. If it's no matter how silly you think it is, pop it in. And we'll get it answered. Okay. Uh, if not, you can contact me at rtbtrainingsystems at gmail.com or on Instagram uh, or Facebook or Facebook. It's raised the bar training systems. 
is where you'll find us. Okay. Not too many questions coming in. Um, okay. Excellent. Thanks, Tom. Check it out. Hope you pulled something away from it. Um, if when it comes to these these talks, these presentations, uh, my own opinion is that if you can take away one thing and apply it in everyday life, it's been a success. You're not going to come out here apply absolutely everything, but if you can just apply one thing, that has been a success. If you've got a bit more education and awareness, and like I said at the very start, if you put into action this last hour and 10 minutes of listening to my Limerick accents has been a success. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, doesn't seem to be too many questions coming in. So, thank, thank you, Mairead. Thanks for tuning in. Um, okay, yeah, since we've a lot of thanks coming in. Thanks, guys. Uh, I appreciate the nice words. Um, but, uh, oh, thank you all. Yeah, it's common for, I think most people put on a couple of kilos over the, over lockdown if that is the case do not beat yourself up it's totally normal and again it comes back to this, this energy balance idea that we are not burning as much calories as we normally do because we are not as active i know i am and because we're not working um so as a byproduct weight is more inclined to go on so that means you're going to have to eat uh, less food essentially that's how the that's how the, the magical scales works when do you hope to open again um I'm hopeful for July, Paul. Um, just don't know. It's hard to tell right now. Everything's a bit up in the air. Uh, I'm one of those hopefuls that reckons that the the phases will be brought forward a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. Will we, will we fall into the same bracket as a commercial gym eater? So um, I just don't know what when it's going to happen. Uh, hopefully, the sooner the better. As we, myself and Gina, we really miss the we miss the gym and interacting with people. But look. I think we've adapted. We use Zoom an awful lot. It's a great modality to use. And, and uh, who knows? We might have to use it for another while yet. But yeah, better safe than sorry. Yeah, true, Michelle. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm going to uh, leave it at that. Okay, so thank you very, very much for jumping on tonight. I hope you got some, uh, some benefit from it. And stay safe. Contact me if there's anything you ever need.